Hey everyone, it's Michelle and Brandy, and this is Spooky Shit. So this week we are talking about Ed and Lorraine Warren for the second time, actually. So I'm going to start out talking about the trial of Arnie Cheyenne Johnson. And then I'm going to talk about the Smurl haunting. Warning, this episode may contain graphic details. Listener discretion is advised. It's kind of funny. I feel like a lot of the cases involving them are like people's weird names. Because there's a Smurl. We talked about the Snedekers before. <laughs> Just these true, really fake true. sounding names. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so my story is going to have a little bit of a true crime element to it. But like I promise it's mostly supernatural. The trial of Arnie Cheyenne Johnson, which is also known as the Devil Made Me Do It case, is actually the first known court case in the U.S. where the defense claimed that the defendant committed a crime while possessed by a demon. This case inspired The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, which actually isn't even out yet, and it has a planned release date of June this year. Because I thought it was out. I'd heard of it. Yeah, no, and I was excited. The trailers right now. I literally just saw it on Facebook, the trailer. Oh, I haven't seen the trailer yet. I was like excited because I was like, really? I just wanted to watch a scary movie, I guess. So I was like, oh, cool. I could watch the movie to get ready for this. And I was like, oh, shit, it's not even out yet. <laughs> <laughs> just looking for an excuse to watch a movie <laughs> and call it research, basically. <laughs> I love that whole, um, like, like, the world. It's not... No, yeah, like the Conjuring world mm-hmm. with the whole the nun and all those movies, Annabelle. Like, I love how they're all like semi connected. I like, haven't I seen like a lot of them because I, I've watched like the Conjuring and the Conjuring Two. I think I've seen the Haunting in Connecticut. I've watched a couple because we've okay. Also, trying to find a case by the Warrens. I think that these are literally the only two that we have not talked about yet. Yeah, that's true. We've. We can't do another episode on them. I think we've literally talked about, like, all of their cases that I could find. Yeah, I mean, unless we talk more about them, but... Yeah, but it wouldn't be as exciting as these hauntings. <laughs> but yeah, I've, like, seen a lot of the movies because of the podcast. We'll, like, do it, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go watch this movie now. And I, like, <laughs> wanted to watch The Nun and Annabelle and stuff, but I couldn't find them. I think I think I was looking around Halloween last year, and they weren't on Hulu or Netflix. But I should look again because kind of sounds good. fun to watch a scary movie right now. The Nun connects to The Conjuring. Yes, I like saw something. It was like some or it reminded me of Star Wars because they were like, "This is the order that came out. This is the order you should watch it in." And I was like, "What?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's I don't know. I I I love scary movies too. So. Me too. Yeah, I'll have to look those up again. Is the nun based on a real story? Or was that just they kind of just added it in? I actually don't know. Because if it is, that might be one Warren's case that we have not spoken about yet. <laughs> there might there yeah. might yet be one more story. Well, no, I think that was be it was before their time though. Oh, okay. Oh, it was like a prequel kinda. Mm-hmm. Super Star Wars of them to do that, honestly. <laughs> okay, well, anyway. Before I even begin talking about this famous trial, I'm first actually going to talk about the suspected demonic possession of a little boy named David Glatzel. Glatzel. Ah, man. Here we go again. I'm going to say Glatzel, I guess. <laughs> so, David was the little brother of at least four siblings, including 27-year-old Debbie, who was engaged to a man named Arnie Johnson, who I mentioned before. It all started in July of 1980, when 11-year-old David began to tell his family about how he was encountered by an old man who taunted him, pushing him, pushing him and threatening him while he was supposed to be helping clean up the rental home that Arnie and Debbie were moving into. His family thought that he was just trying to get out of doing chores, until things seemed to get a little more intense. He kept insisting that he was still seeing this old man and that, that, like, he was talking to him. One night, David woke up sobbing and said that he'd been visited by a terrifying beast, saying, A man with big black eyes, a thin face, with animal features and jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns, and hooves appeared. So, sounds like literally the devil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
This figure had also warned him, telling him, beware. Unfortunately for David, this didn't seem to be a one-off nightmare, and the visions of this creature persisted. So, these recurring visions changed his family's mind, and they actually started to believe that something supernatural was happening. Debbie later explained, he didn't lie, and he never liked anything spooky, not even scary comic books. Local clergymen had been called upon to help save David, but they even were unable to get rid of the demons. His parents, Judy and Carl, directly reached out to a priest from St. Joseph's Catholic Church to bless their home, but it didn't change anything. Eventually, Debbie actually asked Arnie to move in with the family so that they could help take care of David. David would kick, bite, and swear. At times, he experienced what felt like invisible hands trying to strangle him, and forces would, quote, flop him rapidly head to toe like a rag doll. <laughs> I don't know what they, yeah. I don't know what they mean by they flop him like kind of moving him side to side or flop means right. hit him. Just like flopping his little body around. I don't fucking I thought that was weird. That's why I put a quote because I was like I don't understand this. Was he like floating? I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> One time while sleeping on the floor next to David, Arnie and Debbie saw a green bone-like arm come up through the floor. Casual. I had no idea where to put that in my story, so I just put it here. It literally doesn't relate to anything. <laughs> the family had begun to get desperate, and with the help of a pastor, reached out to a couple from the nearby town of Monroe, Connecticut, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were both 54 at this time. Damn. Yeah. So we actually talked more about the Warrens in our first episode on them, which was called Ed and Lorraine Warren and a Ghostly Roomba. But just a quick little reminder for you all, they were both demonologists and would be consulted on demonic or ghostly investigations. Lorraine specifically was a clairvoyant as well. Initially, when the couple learned that David actually had a minimal learning disability, they thought that this may be the cause of his behavior, but after consulting professionals decided it wasn't likely. They believed he was in the beginning stages of demonic possession. The first time that Lorraine spoke with David, she claimed she saw a black misty form next to him, and this told her that they were dealing with something of a negative nature. She also said as they sat with him, he was just hanging out, concentrating on drawing on his piece of paper, and then suddenly he would look up and they could just tell like it was no longer David that they were talking to. Ed said that there were nights when David would be yelling, ranting, and raving, and it would take four to five grown men to hold down this little boy because he had, like, unreal strength. Other times, he would attack his mother, and once reportedly, he even broke his mom's nose. Hardcore. (laughs) Hardcore. Yeah. I mean, it better have been demonic possession, otherwise that's fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Once the voices that David had been hearing told him that Arnie was going to fall out of a tree, and of course he did shortly after, but thankfully he was fine. Like, I don't know what the fuck Arnie was doing in a tree. (laughs) They literally gave no other context than that. They're like, he said he'd fall out of a tree, and he did. (laughs) I'm like, why was he in a tree in the first place? How soon after? He probably climbed in and was like, that ain't true, and then he fell. I know. I was like, if someone told me, hey, this demon said that you're going to fall out of a tree, I personally would not go in any trees. I'd be like, oh, I'll stay out of trees. Yeah. Not Arnie. He did not give a shit. (laughs) David began to experience the feeling of being hit by something invisible, and red marks would actually spontaneously appear on his body after he'd complain about these. Like, witnesses saw him suddenly turn red. And Lorraine also later noted that on many different occasions, David would talk about murder and stabbings. Around this time, David's condition began to get worse. He was missing classes and had gained 60 pounds in just a few months. He would growl, hiss, speak in strange voices, and then suddenly recite passages from the Bible or the poem Paradise Lost. Family members would take turns staying up watching him at night as he would frequently suddenly jump out of his bed and begin doing rapid sets of sit-ups for 30 minutes. <laughs> also, weird flex. I don't yeah. fucking know. I was wondering if I misread that. I'm like, like he was getting jacked? I'm so confused. That's what it sounds like. Right? Excuse he me. Would all- <laughs> I know. 
I promise I'm not boring. Brandy's just been working all day. <laughs> yeah, I'm tired. Uh, David would also roll around and go into fits. Whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> Ed claims to have once witnessed him levitate. And these demonic attacks would last until sunrise. Just when the fuck are you supposed to sleep if that's what's happening to you all night, really? Awful. As time went on, the creature David had been having visions of was now showing up during the day, too. He said it took the form of an old man with a white beard dressed in a flannel shirt and jeans. <laughs> Doesn't sound that scary. It just sounds like an old dude. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> The attacks were growing more frequent and more violent, and David began to suffer from seizures. Also, in a weird ghosty turn of events, members of the family began to hear suspicious noises coming from the home's attic. I don't know how that fits in with a demon, though. I just thought that was random. <laughs> it's Robert the doll. Oh my gosh, I forgot about Robert the doll. <laughs> You don't remember it? Did he like kill somebody's grandma or some shit? The grandma yeah. was like, lock him in the yeah. attic, and then she died. And then she oh died. Oh my god, you guys. Yeah, you guys need to listen to our creepy doll. I think not. I think not. We also talk about the Warrens in that episode too, because we talk about Annabelle the doll. <laughs> Go back to that one. Yeah. I don't remember the episode name, but it's old. <laughs> so I don't think it's stiff. Oh, body. creepy, creepy dolls and a stiff cloth body. Yes, that was it. Classic. <laughs> Ed and Lorraine felt sure that David was possessed by demons. And in October of 1980, they even went so far as to call the Brookfield police. And they told them like, yo, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a fucking tragedy at the end of this. Which, obviously, they couldn't do anything about that they were like okay <laughs> that's exciting <laughs> they i don't even know what they meant by like a tragedy either but my impression was like they thought something bad was gonna happen to david i'm like what the fuck is anyone gonna be doing about that though you can't really keep an eye out for a demon i don't fucking know <laughs> maybe they shouldn't want to be held responsible if something did happen they'll be like oh we warned you so, by far, my favorite weird part of this story is when Ed claimed that a toy dinosaur that David put together began to walk on its own towards the family, and it was saying in a deep voice, beware, you're all going to die. Okay. <laughs> yeah! So, I think we've all been in a situation like this, but, <laughs> you know, just threaten threatening toy dinosaurs. <laughs> They maintained that it was not an anime toy, like, it should not have been able to walk. And another time, they'd been showing somebody the church where the later on exorcism was performed, and they were recording. And in this recording, you could actually hear, in the same voice, someone asking, why are you here? So, definitely a fucking demon. That's all I gotta say. Oh my god, imagine being a demon and possessing a toy dinosaur. It's really fun. You're not living until you. <laughs> You're not living until you've been a demon a and possessed a toy dinosaur. <laughs> Three lesser exorcisms were eventually performed on David. I don't know what they mean by lesser, but this is just how the Warrens described them. They claim that the first exorcism took place at St. Joseph's Catholic Church, and they were able to confirm that there were 43 demons possessing David. And he was actually able to name them all. I mean,. Not our most Sheesh. impressive, honestly. In some of our possession episodes before, I think. Didn't one of yours have like a thousand, Brandy? No, I think it was Leah's. If you don't know who Leah is, she used to be on here too before she bitched down and abandoned us. <laughs> but yeah, we, we've told stories of people who had like a thousand. So 43 was not too crazy. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it was mine at least. I, we've done a few of them, so honestly, it's hard to remember. And we are, like, what, over 65 episodes in. Sometimes I, like, think about stuff and I'm like, wait, did I even say this story? Or who told this? I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I have, like, too much in my head and I cannot remember exactly anything right now. Oh, no, and another no. thing. 
No, I was just saying, I was just agreeing, and it just feels like forever since Leo's been gone. I know. It's weird, because she's been here for a majority of our episodes, but right now, like, it feels like she was only in two episodes, and then she left. I'm like, did she ever even actually record with us? (laughs) Another thing was, Ed actually didn't even call these, like, demons. He said that it was 43 devils in David. I didn't know that there was more than one devil. Me either. Maybe he was just exaggerating. I don't know. I mean, technically, demons are devils, aren't they? Are they? I'm not I'm not familiar with religion things, as far as demons yeah. go. Uh, any exorcist out there, feel free to email us. Let well, us know. <laughs> I guess I guess that would make angels God, too, you know? So maybe not. <laughs> Blasphemous. You're going to hell, Brandy. Sheesh. Dude, I we're watching the- <laughs> I'll see you there. <laughs> we were watching um, the Great British Bake Off, and this one dude was like talking about going into judging. And it's funny because he was like talking, he like does stuff in his church and stuff. So it was weirdly blasphemous, but he was like, I feel like Jesus right before his crucifixion. And we're like, wait. <laughs> I don't think you're about to be like tortured and murdered. You're just being judged for your cake right now. <laughs> it was just a really, a really dramatic statement to make on a baking show. <laughs> anyway, so Ed says that this first exorcism was a failure and that afterwards David refused to get in his family car and ran away and that he had a knife and tried to kill his mom and grandma. What the fuck? I know! Fucking rude ass. (laughs) This exorcism was reportedly attended by four priests, but according to Father Nicholas Grieco of Bridgeport, David's case was investigated, but he denies that any exorcisms actually happened. Even weirder, all four of these priests who were supposedly there for it refused to comment publicly and were transferred to other parishes. So I think they definitely did it and they just didn't want to get in trouble for performing an exorcism. (laughs) Gitch. Yep. Also during this exorcism, they learned that the demon they called the Beast was actually back at the house. So naturally, Ed went back to go look for it. He Mm. said he went through the house sprinkling holy water and when he arrived in a room with a rocking chair, the rocking chair suddenly began to move and rock violently back and forth on its own. He claims that he also heard pounding sounds coming from around the house and a growling coming from the cellar. And nobody else was home at the time. Like, it was just him. Just Mm. him and the beast, I should say. (laughs) (laughs) During the exorcisms, David would swear, levitate, and reportedly even stopped breathing once. He may have even correctly predicted a murder that happened later, and he once attacked a priest. I'll tell you more about this murder later. Unfortunately, all the exorcisms did not seem to help. Not long after all these exorcisms, Arnie actually got into a car accident where he claimed a demon took control of his car and forced him off the road and into a tree. Thankfully, he was not hurt in this incident. And Lorraine described how when one of the priests woke up in their own bed after meeting David, they found that their pillow was soaked in blood. What the fuck? Yeah, so according to Ed, these were both basically just, like, warnings from dark forces, like, to scare the priest and Arnie and to make them stop trying to look in the possession and, like, help David, you know? There's, like, fuck you, I can make you crash your car, I can make you wake up in blood. Stay away from me, bitches. (laughs) Yeah, that, that, that would scare me. Yeah, fuck no. As soon as I saw, like, any demons, I'd be like, oh, um... I'm not engaged to you anymore. I have nothing to do with your little brother's possession. (laughs) He wasn't even, like, really, really family. He was just engaged to the sister and kind of got dragged into this. (laughs) I know. And going back to the, like, rental property I talked about earlier, I guess that there was, like, a well on this property. And I'm not sure if David had, like, an experience with this well or what, but for whatever reasons, when the Warrens arrived they were like arnie do not go near this well and arnie being a young dude who was just being stupid decided to go investigate it anyway not long after his car crash 
He recalled later that while looking into the well, he made eye contact with a demon that was living down inside of it. Bro, Arnie, if you don't break off this engagement, I swear to God, <laughs> it is not worth it. Judy and Carl took David to a psychiatrist and a family doctor, and we were told that he was perfectly normal and fine, and they're basically like, no, this isn't a possession. He's just acting like this because of his learning disability. But that's weird to me, because I'm like, what learning disability has the same symptoms as a demonic possession? <laughs> He just starts levitating. They're like, it's just ADHD. He's fine. (laughs) I'm like, what do you mean? These are not similar things. But anyway, David was then enrolled in a private school for disturbed children. (laughs) Fucked up. It's just that's so bad to say a school for disturbed children. I am disturbed. I am disturbed. This is my school. (laughs) By this point, Debbie and Arnie could no longer handle living in the home, and they had actually moved out. So now moving on to mostly Arnie. Arnie lived in the small town of Brookfield, Connecticut, which had a population of just 13,000 people. So super, super, super fucking tiny. In 1980, he was only 18 years old and a tree surgeon. I thought this was so random because, Brandy, you obviously remember, and maybe our listeners remember, we talked about Tom Connolly in our episode, Crazy Survival Stories in Jungle Child, and he was also a tree surgeon and nearly died on the job. So, yeah, before these two stories, I actually had no idea that this job existed, so I thought it was kind of, like, fucking random that this mm-hmm. person was also one, and I was like, oh, God, what if he almost died there, too? <gasps> Wait, it's, it's a dangerous job. It is. And also, I just realized that's probably how he fell out of a tree, Brandy. Oh, oh, it's right. probably at his work. Oh my gosh! So you should all listen to that episode. Basically, someone almost kills himself on accident on the job, and uh, it's one of the more gnarly stories that Brandy has shared with us. I'm pretty sure the entire time yeah. you were talking, I just kept going <gasps> and just not talking out of shock because that one was gruesome. It was yeah. real bad. <laughs> and also, if you don't know what a tree surgeon is, because I, I didn't even explain now, it's just someone who has to take care of trees <laughs> and you like keep them healthy. <laughs> I'm saying all this extra shit, but I didn't even say what the job is. You just take care of trees and you can get seriously injured like Tom Connolly. Fuck, that story was crazy. You guys should all listen to it. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, definitely. got sidetracked. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, that was also Leah's last episode, I think. Was it? I'm pretty sure it was because it was like before I went to my little trip to Yosemite and stuff and up to Washington. And then whenever I came back, it was just me and you. Oh, shit. Sounds like Leah like abandoned us while we were on the trip. I knew she was leaving. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was. I'm doubting myself the more I talk, though, so that's fine. (laughs) I honestly don't remember. Honestly, I'm pretty sure Leah was never actually a part of this podcast, so it's only ever been me and you. (laughs) Anyway, so throughout his life, Arnie had been, like, a pretty good kid. He played Little League baseball. He sang in his church choir. He liked fishing and worked for a while as a paper boy. I even read one story that he, like, worked really hard whenever he was a paper boy to, like, buy a, a low-key shitty car for his mom. I think he said it was, like, $80 for this car. Damn. It was, like, run down and stuff, but she had to walk to work. So he was like, oh, here, this is free, so you don't have to walk anymore. So he's, like, a good kid. I do want to say, though, I'm not going to, like, this doesn't hint at anything. It's just everyone's talking about how good of a kid he was. And I was like, good kids do sometimes do bad shit though (laughs) like how many serial killers are there where they're like oh he was super cool until you found out he was a serial killer like true true it doesn't really tell you much (laughs) like ted bundy oh my gosh i was thinking about talking about ted bundy soon i think that we should do like a well-known serial killer one maybe next month (laughs) yes we already have a few planned out yeah Yeah, this month is almost over Okay, this summer. How about this summer? We'll do that. Right. <laughs> okay, it's a plan. Arnie also later dropped out of high school to help support his family. 
So after the couple moved out of the Glatzel family home, Debbie was hired by a man named Alan Bono, who had just moved to town and managed a dog kennel. Thanks to him, the couple were also able to move into an apartment nearby to the business. Not long after the move, Debbie began to notice that Arnie wasn't acting like his usual self. She would notice that he'd go into like a trance where he would just growl and say he saw the beast. Once out of this trance, he would have no recollection of it. So this is already not a good sign. Uh, while Arnie's coworkers didn't notice any change, super, Debbie said that these trances occurred at least four separate times that she witnessed in the next six months. And similar things have happened to, Deb- to David too. As it turns out, Brandy, sometime before moving in an attempt to make the demons leave David's body, Arnie began to taunt the demons and try to get them to enter his body instead. Hmm. <laughs> He supposedly yelled at them, take me on, leave my little buddy alone. <laughs> so, so the demons, apparently, they took on this challenge and possessed him. They said, like, okay, bit. They're like, okay, for sure. <laughs> Let's fucking do it. So, like, whenever I read this, I assumed that meant David was now fine, but apparently not. One article I read from about a year after he was first possessed claims that he was... Not doing so great. Sixth grader David, who used to be described as smiling and open-faced, now appeared grim and grossly overweight. The article's words, not mine. I would never describe somebody as grossly overweight. That just yeah. seems a little little fucking dramatic for yeah, a child. Mean. That's just rude. Like, come on, guys. That's, that's just mean. He's just a little thick. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, But yeah, David still even had his demonic attacks, though less frequently than they had occurred before. Whenever possible, David would sleep with the lights on, and his mother was quoted as saying, I ask, why us? And I still don't have the answer. But there is a God, and he will answer our prayers. I think he was able to recover and lead a normal life eventually, but I'm not sure how long it took, but it seemed like at least over a year for him to get back to normal. Brutal. On February 16, 1981, Arnie called in sick to his job and instead joined Debbie at her work, along with his sister Wanda and Debbie's nine-year-old cousin Mary. Apparently, this was, like, not too uncommon, where he would just call in and just go and hang out at Debbie's job. I don't don't know why. It's kind of weird. I guess it was just, like, the cool hangout spot was the kennel. Kennel or dog groomer, I should say, because I read conflicting reports on that. If it was a Mm -hmm. dog groomer, you know what? I'd want to hang out there. I'd want to pet all the dogs. Let's be real here. I would totally call in work to go and pet a bunch of dogs. Respect. So Alan showed up and took the group out for lunch, where he reportedly began to drink heavily. Around 6.30 p.m. that night, Alan and Arnie got into an argument. So the only place I could find like that they actually say what the argument was about was on Wikipedia. And the source was a book that I was not able to like actually read. So keep that in mind. When I say what happened, but according to Wiki, after the group had gotten back from lunch, Debbie took the two girls to get pizza, but insisted they get back to the kennel quickly as she like thought something bad was going to happen. I don't know if maybe like Arnie and Alan like had a history of like arguing or something, but when they did arrive back, Alan was drunk and agitated. Debbie told everyone to leave the room, but Alan didn't and instead grabbed Mary and wouldn't let her go. Arnie came back and ordered Alan to let go of Mary, who ran for the car whenever he did. Debbie, meanwhile, was trying to calm the two men down, and Wanda was trying to hold Arnie back when he reportedly growled like an animal, pulled out a five-inch pocket knife, and stabbed Alan in the chest and stomach several times. What the fuck? What the fuck? Alan later died of his wounds several hours afterwards. And... Not so fun fact, actually. This was the first murder to ever be committed in Brookfield. And this is the murder that I mentioned before that David reportedly predicted during his exorcism. Oh. I know. I Okay, so I am so confused by Wikipedia's explanation of this. Why did he grab Mary? Why, why did Debbie originally tell everyone, hey, leave the room so she could be like alone with him? I don't know. Was he, like, mad at Debbie? Maybe, like, because Debbie, like, left with the girls to go get food and she was supposed to be working? I don't know. 
I was like so frustrated because I was trying to find all over like another person who wrote it because you know like Wikipedia sometimes they don't put the full story obviously they just put all these steps that I was like I feel like you're skipping details here like why what even happened (laughs) I don't know (laughs) I don't understand but anyway Arnie was found about two miles away an hour after the murder and was arrested and held on bail for $125,000. While police believed the murder had been over a fight, the Warrens believed it was actually the result of a possession. Lorraine actually called the police station the day after the murder to tell them her belief that Arnie was possessed. And Arnie himself claimed to have no memory of the murder or the two hours surrounding the murder. And he actually said that the last time he felt totally lucid was several months before like whenever he looked into the demon filled well that I mentioned. So he's just been kind of like foggy since then. Yeah. (laughs) And this is why you don't challenge demons. (laughs) (laughs) True. Supposedly investigators did look into claims of a haunting, but the end stuck with the more realistic scenario that there was an argument. Arnie snapped and he stabbed Alan. Arnie hired an attorney, Martin Manella and this attorney planned to enter a plea of not guilty by reason of demonic possession. And like I said before, he was the first person to try and use this plea in the U.S. Manella had actually traveled to England to meet with lawyers who had been involved in similar cases, but these cases were never brought to trial. And he also had plans to fly in exorcism experts from around Europe to help his case. He also had threatened to subpoena the priest who oversaw David's exorcism if they did not want to help the defense on their own. It's like, you could have asked them before you started threatening them, but okay. Yeah. The defense team was also allowed to examine the shirt Alan had been wearing when he was stabbed, and according to the article I read, they noted that there was a lack of blood, rips, and tears, which they thought could support the idea that there was a demonic element to the murder. And I thought that was interesting. I'm like, what do they mean by a lack of? Was there, like, no blood or not a lot? I thought that was weird. Was he topless? Maybe. (laughs) So this case basically blew up in the media, in part due to the Warrens publicly talking about writing books and movies on the possession. And soon, Manella was receiving calls from all over the world. The case was dubbed the Demon Murder Trial and the Devil Made Me Do It case. Not all this attention was positive, though. Manella and the Warrens began to get mocked by their peers, and some people said they were just trying to profit off of a tragedy. One mentalist, and I had to look up what a mentalist is, it's basically a person who appears to demonstrate highly developed mental or intuitive abilities, said that the Warrens have an excellent vaudeville act, a good roadshow, It's just that this case more involves clinical psychologists than it does them. Which is just like a really fancy way of saying it's all a show. Arnie's trial began on October 28th, 1981. Unfortunately for the defense team, when Manella attempted to enter the plea of not guilty due due to demonic possession, the judge immediately was like, nope, that is not happening. According to the judge, that plea could never exist in the court of law since there was no possible way to prove it and because it would be irrelevant and unscientific. The defense instead chose to change their story to be that Arnie had been acting in self-defense when he killed Alan, which meant that the jury was legally not allowed to consider demonic possession as a contribution to the murder. By the end of the trial, the jury deliberated for 15 hours over the course of three days before finally reaching a verdict. On November 24, 1981, Arnie Cheyenne Johnson was found guilty of first-degree manslaughter. He was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison, although he only served around five. And Arnie and Debbie actually stayed together through all of this and ended up getting married. Wow. I thought I thought that was interesting. I thought if not possession Real breaking words. them up, murder would, prison would, but nope. <laughs> They're chilling. That's real love. Right? <laughs> Robert wouldn't do that for me. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, Robbie. I'm pretty sure if I murdered somebody and went to prison, he'd be like, I'm not going to wait for you. <laughs> I'd be like, all right, bye. And bitch, you're crazy. <laughs> so this case, like I said in the beginning, inspired inspired the upcoming movie, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. But that's not the only media inspired. It also was the reason for another made-for-television movie named Demon Murder Trial and a book. 
1983, Lorraine Warren helped publish this book by Gerald Brittle on the possession case named The Devil in Connecticut, and she claims that the profits made from the book were shared with the Glatzels. But some say that only $2,000 was actually paid off to the family. To add even more controversy, when this book was republished in 2006, David and his brother Carl actually sued the author and Lorraine for violating their right to privacy, libel, and intentional affliction of emotional distress. His brother Carl also claimed that the entire possession story was a hoax created by the Warrens and that they had taken advantage of his brother's mental health for money. According to Carl, the Warrens had also said how the possession story would turn them into millionaires and it would help get Arnie out of jail. But in reality, the publicity resulted in him losing friends, job opportunities, and caused him to drop out of school. Carl went on to write his own book in 2007 called Alone Through the Valley, detailing his version of the possession and the aftermath of it. Lorraine defended her part in the case and referred to the priest who had also believed David to be possessed. The author, Gerald Brittle himself, said he wrote the book because the family wanted the story told. And he claims that he has over 100 hours of interviews of family members detailing the possessions and signing off that the book was accurate. David and Carl's father, who I said earlier is also named Carl, denies ever telling Brittle that David had been possessed. As of 2014, Debbie and Arnie are still together and have two children. Debbie is still interested in the supernatural and believes that Arnie's biggest mistake was challenging the demons. She says, you never take that step. You never challenge the devil. Arnie started showing the same signs my brother did when he was under possession. So Debbie and Arnie still support the Warren story that David had been possessed and this led to Arnie being possessed. They said that the members of the Gladstone family speaking out against the story are pretty much just doing it for money. So yeah, that is it. On the Arnie Johnson trial. I thought that was crazy. I was also kind of surprised that that was the first time someone had tried that in the U.S. Because I felt certain that many people would try to pretend that they were possessed. (laughs) Apparently not. Damn. Yeah, sorry. That was longer than I thought it'd be. And I'm like low-key losing my voice now. So I'm glad to be done. (laughs) So, the Smurl haunting. I hope I'm saying that right. I think it's Merle. I think it's just a like kind of a funny last name, really. Cool. It reminds me of Smurfs. Yeah, those two. I was really thinking the same thing. (laughs) So the Smurl haunting was an alleged demonic possession in West Pitson, Pennsylvania, United States. (laughs) Yep, feeling confident about that one. (laughs) Brandy was just nodding with every additional part. You're like, yes, this is it. (laughs) Getting (laughs) pumped up (laughs) for the Smurls. So Jack and Janet Smurl moved into a double block house, which is basically a duplex. Okay. Which is like... Two apartment buildings, yeah? yeah? Kind of, yeah. Okay. On Chase Street in August 1986. Jack and Janet lived on one side of the duplex, while Jack's parents, John and Mary, lived on the other side. Oh, dang. So they was neighbors. <laughs> they were. <laughs> kind of cute. According to the Smurls, the first signs of paranormal activity began in 1994. They reported that a television set burst into flames. Holy <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> they had some wild stories. Dude. A stain appeared on the carpet overnight. Water pipes began to leak, even though they were repeatedly, like, seen by a plumber and like. Oh, okay. They used some other word that I can't say, so I'm just kidding. Fancy plumbing (laughs) word. (laughs) Yeah. Scratches resembling those from a large cat appeared on paintwork and bathroom fittings. What the fuck? Scratches everywhere. (laughs) Oh my god. But yeah, within like the three year span, the events like were escalating. Uh, they say oh no. <laughs> they say toilets flushed without human intervention. So they were literally just flushed by themselves. What? Uh footsteps were heard on the stairs. Chest drawers opened and closed like by themselves. On their own. Yeah. Um radios worked when they weren't even plugged in. <gasps> rocking chairs ro- rocked while empty. Hey, mine had rocking chairs. Um, 
They're all creepy like Sorted Annabelle. Yeah. Rocking chairs are hella creepy. <laughs> they are. Sour smells filled the house. Ew. Just randomly. It's gross. <laughs> but yeah, John and Mary claim to hear a loud, obscene language and that Jack and Janet's home often became extremely cold. Oh no. Mm-hmm. Two days after this, an icy cold swept the house and a strange black human shape allegedly materialized <gasps> in the kitchen in front of Janet. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> she said it was about five feet nine inches tall with no facial features. That's terrifying. Very. That is worse than having too. facial features. <laughs> no facial features. No facial features. That Ew. is kind of scary. Like a mannequin. And like, oh, and probably taller than slender her, man. about as tall as her. Oh, it is very slender manish. <laughs> the figure later appeared to Mary in her kitchen as well. Oh my god. So it was not stuck in one side of the duplex. It just traveled no. all around. Yeah. Um, the violence and frequency of the events continued to escalate. The German Shepherd was thrown into a wall. Oh, puppy. Like, so sad. Aww. It shook their mattress. I guess, like, randomly, just fucking, like, come Ew. wake them up. And... <laughs> oh my god, I would shit myself if that happened. I would think that there was, like, someone under my bed. <laughs> Earthquake! <laughs> yeah. The family was... Physically and sexually assaulted on several occasions. Oh my god. Brandy. I'm sorry. What? I'm sorry. This is what... That so. is like dark, dark. Holy shit. <laughs> so yeah, the family ended up inviting the infamous de demonologist Ed and Lorraine Warren <laughs> to take a look at their case. So yeah, they did their whole, you know, investigations and all that. And they announced <laughs> that the house was haunted by three minor spirits and a powerful evil demon. Shit. I thought you were just going to say the minor spirits. I was like, I don't, I think that they're wrong. That sounds more intense than that. <laughs> it is more intense. It is. Something very powerful and dark. <laughs> so according to Ed, the demon that inhabited the Smurl's home was very powerful. And it shook mirrors and furniture after they tried to persuade it to leave by playing religious music and praying. <laughs> He's like, I hate this song! <laughs> Dead asses were like <laughs> shaking all everything, throwing a tantrum basically. Literally like a child. In late August, Jack alleged that he was raped one night by a scale-covered <gasps> succumbus. Which if you remember... Succubus. We talked, su oh, succubus. Okay. Succumbus. <laughs> yeah, you put an M on accident. Yeah, but yeah. Holy yeah, really. shit. Scale. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um. But yeah, we talked about all of those things. Succubus. Succubus. I think plural could be succubi. Now that sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I'm pretty sure Leah's the one that talked about those. Yeah. I think maybe it was in our sleep paralysis. Yeah. It was a sleep paralysis one. Yeah. They're creepy. Very. Not a fan. Not a fan. Or maybe I was the one that talked about it. See, like I said before, we don't even know what we talked about anymore. Did ass, I don't. We like talk about stuff and I'm like, wait, that was me? Fuck, I don't remember anything. <laughs> it's like your brain cannot hold this much random knowledge. It's yeah, just true. not possible. Especially yeah. when it's creepy, like you want to forget it. True. <laughs> But yeah, this succubus, I guess he saw her with a young girl's body and an old woman's head. Ew, and covered in scales too? Yeah. Oh, nasty. Bro, I'd move out immediately. <laughs> Deadass. Janet also claimed she was sexually assaulted by a shadow humanoid figure described as an in incubus. Mm-hmm. The yeah. male version of the succubus, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. She also claimed to hear pig noises coming from inside the wall. <gasps> Ew. Yeah. I don't know why that's creepy. It's like there's a demon pig in the incubus. <laughs> Ew. Um, the Smurls brought Father Robert McKenna, who conduct conducted two separate exorcisms in Latin and more than 50 
Catholic masses. Oh my god. I was like, damn, who has time for that? Quite a flex, honestly. <laughs> but that apparently made the demon more mad. Ay, ay, ay. They also said that the demon followed them when they went on vacation to the Poconos and even would harass Jack at work. Dang, so it wasn't even really the house, it was them. Mm-hmm. Scary. Yeah, I'll talk more about it later. But yeah, it was at this point that the Smurls appeared on television on a Philadelphia talk show called The People Are Talking. Oh. <laughs> that's Hosted a funny by name. Richard Bay. I think that's how you say his name. Okay. Supposedly, the demon reacted by raping Jack again, <gasps> but this time appearing as a half-man, half-pig. <gasps> what did I just say mm. about pigs? Oh my god, that is so scary. Fuck. That's nasty. So gross. Very nasty. While Janet was throttled and yeeted about by invisible forces. Oh my god. She did. They savage. They were like, do not fucking talk about us. <laughs> scary. But yeah, the Smurls ended up selling the rights to their story, which became known as... Um, they were someone wrote a book about it, um, mm -hmm. called the haunt the haunted, published by the Saint Martin's Press. Okay. And in nineteen ninety one, twentieth century Fox released a movie based on the Smurl haunting by the same name. Oh, so really? The haunted. Yeah. I oh. haven't seen it. I wonder if it's on Netflix or anything. I'd be interested in seeing it. I didn't. I didn't check. But hopefully I'm they curious. don't. Hopefully they don't keep, like, sexual assault scenes and it's just implied or something. Yeah. I hate I when know. they show it. I'm like, you don't have to show it. You could just say it happened. Insinuate it. <laughs> yeah, insinuate. You don't have to fucking show it. But yeah, there are obviously many doubts in their story. Many believe it was a hoax. You know, They do they, every time. <laughs> they compare it a lot to, like, uh, Amityville Horror. Which we also talked about a long time ago. Yeah. I think that was literally, like, the second episode. I think it was the third, and you weren't oh, there. Yeah, it was haunted there. houses, and where did Brandy go? Because it was our third episode, and Brandy was already like, "Can't make it." <laughs> you know me. Yep. But yeah, more so pe because people didn't understand why they didn't just move away. But the Smurls argued that it followed them wherever they went, so it didn't matter. Yeah, if it was showing up at their work. Yeah. Well, they had gone on vacation for like a oh, week yeah. and it literally like, like it followed them there. Like they didn't even have a good time. That is scary. And according to the movie, the Smurls moved some years later only to have the spirit follow them. They were haunted until a church sanctioned exorcism finally ended their horror. Oh, fuck. So it wasn't even uh, the Warrens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the movie... Well, that's what happens in the movie, so I'm not sure what actually happened to the Smurls. Okay, they might have went exactly. Yeah, but yeah, a resident who lived at the property right after the Smurls claimed to have no unusual experience while living there. Why would they? As we already established, it was <laughs> moving along with them. <laughs> yeah, but you know, people hate um, your ass bitches. I actually found this really fun fact, or like, I was just like shook by this. Okay. So the Smurls reported that a psychic told them that their home was actually the scene of a brutal murder. <gasps> it was later found that it occurred decades before and blocks away from the Smurls' house. Amityville was also hyped around that same time, like so they were put on they put their case under more scrutiny. Of course. But one coincidence between Amityville and this case is pretty wild okay the name of the west pinston murderer so like that murder that they were talking about yeah that was nearby yeah that happened nearby his name was lutz which is the same <gasps> last name as the family from amityville what you said lutz and i remembered <laughs> yeah i Dude. i was like what the fuck that's that is like a really weird coincidence what are the odds yeah if your last name's Lutz, sorry. You're <laughs> not going to have a good life. 
But yeah, I guess uh, this this murder he bludgeon- bludgeoned his wife to death with the hatchet. Oh, holy shit! Okay, that was suddenly graphic with that yeah, warning. Sorry, but yeah, I was like tripping. I was like, "What the fuck? That's crazy." That is such a weird coincidence. Yeah, you should all go back and listen to our Amityville episodes whenever we are fresh podcasters. But uh, that case Cringy. was super interesting too. Yeah, very cringy for me, but you can listen and laugh at me. <laughs> True. But yeah. That's creepy. Also, I hate the stories where they're like, the Warren showed up and you're like, oh, thank God. And they're like, didn't do much though. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. They just kind of, well, they're, L- Lorraine kind of co wrote the book that came out about their story because mm-hmm. she was like, they were involved, but it doesn't look like they were able to do anything. That's scary because you kind of just assume like the experts come in and it's handled. Yeah. What do you do if the experts come in and it's not handled? <laughs> True. Hate your life. I wonder if they're going to end up making a Conjuring movie about that. Probably. Maybe. They're on the right track. That was in the 90s, you said? I, did, I forgot already. Okay. Well, my well, mine was back in the, the 70s and the 90s. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because mine was in 81, and that's the movie coming out now. So maybe in a few years we'll be getting one about the Smurl family. Hopefully. We shall okay. see. Yeah. That's it on the Warrens for a while, though, because I think we've discussed literally everything that we can about them at this point. Yeah. But anything to add, Brandel? Mm, no. Okay. So thank you all for listening. If you want to email us, especially if you have any haunted stories, please tell us. Our email is the spooky shit dot pod at gmail.com our twitter and instagram are spooky shit underscore pod and our website is spooky shit dash pod.com let us know if you have any special requests rate us on apple Podcasts, please leave us some reviews tell your friends to listen and yeah thank you all for listening talk to you next week goodbye bye A pee. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs>